Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 11 of the UK's first Freedom of Information podcast. I'm Ibrahim Hassan. In January and February 2008, the Information Commissioner published 60 decisions, whilst the Information Tribunal published 10. I'm here to guide you through some of these. In this episode, amongst other things, we'll be discussing more guidance on what is information under FOI, release of sensitive information relating to the circumstances around the Iraq war, a tribunal decision on the definition of personal data, the overturning of the Information Commissioner's decision ordering disclosure of ASBO information, disclosure of salaries, and the first decision requiring disclosure of legal advice on public interest grounds. Public authorities often ask how far they have to go to produce information which is held on a searchable database. In a decision involving the Home Office dated the 19th of February, the complainant asked for information relating to work permits issued to employers. The Home Office stated that it was held on an electronic database and the process of complying with the request would involve writing and running a report. This would place a disproportionate strain on resources and it argued that therefore the information was not held under the Act. The Commissioner did not accept that the level of difficulty involved in performing these activities has a bearing on the question of whether information is or is not held by a public authority. It may, though, have a bearing on calculating the cost of retrieval under Section 12. The Commissioner required the Home Office to either provide the complainant with the requested information or provide valid reasons for not doing so. It's interesting to note that in this decision, the Commissioner rejected the arguments of the Home Office, which were based on the Information Tribunal decision in Mr Johnson and the Information Commissioner and the Ministry of Justice, dated the 13th of July 2007. Oddly, the Commissioner preferred to follow the rulings made by the Irish Commissioner and the European Ombudsman. Whilst I agree with the logic behind the Commissioner's decision, I hope the Home Office appeals. It'll be interesting to see what the Information Tribunal thinks of the Commissioner's independent thinking. Freedom of information always seems a good idea when a party is in opposition. I'm sure the architects of New Labour did not envisage that it would have such a profound impact on them when they finally got into power in 1997. Two recent decisions under Section 35 of the Act have, no doubt, sent a shiver down the spines of Messrs Brown & Co., They look set to shed even more light on the most controversial decision made in recent times by a UK government, the decision to go to war against Iraq. In a decision dated the 19th of February involving the Cabinet Office, the complainant requested Cabinet minutes and records relating to meetings it held from the 7th to the 17th of March 2003 when the Attorney-General's legal advice concerning military action in Iraq was discussed. The Cabinet Office confirmed that during the period in question there were two meetings of the Cabinet. However, it withheld the information under Section 35 a and B, Formulation of Government Policy and Ministerial Communications. The Information Commissioner ruled that the public interest in disclosing the minutes, subject to some redactions, in this particular case outweighs the public interest in withholding them. He gave weight to the gravity and controversial nature of the subject matter, the need for accountability of government decisions, transparency of decision-making and public participation in government decisions. The FCO recently ended a three-year legal battle by releasing a draft version of the Iraq dossier pursuant to a decision by the Information Tribunal. 
In Foreign and Commonwealth Office and the Information Commissioner dated the 22nd of January, the FCO had objected to disclosure on the basis that the Williams draft, as it is now known, was exempt information under Section 36.2b that disclosure would inhibit the free and frank provision of advice or the free and frank exchange of views for the purpose of deliberation and the public interest is best served in withholding the information. The tribunal ruled that such information about the drafting of the Iraq dossier had already been put into the public domain by the Hutton report. There'd be little chilling effect on civil servants' relationship with ministers caused by the fear of future advice and recommendations being disclosed. In the tribunal's view, disclosure of the draft might be capable of adding to the public's understanding of the issues in question. This decision answers a question often asked of me in training sessions. Do drafts have to be disclosed? My answer has always been that there's no exemption for drafts under FOI, unlike the Environmental Information Regulations. The question when considering requests for drafts should be, what are the consequences of disclosure? The Section 40 exemption continues to be the subject of rigorous debate amongst information professionals. Of course, the first question is whether the information being requested is really personal data as defined by the Data Protection Act. Much has been written over the years about the significance of the Durant decision, which seems to have substantially narrowed the definition of personal data. The judge in Durant said that two conditions must be met for data to be personal. The first is that the information must be biographical in a significant sense. The second, that the information should have the data subject as its focus rather than some other person with whom he may have been involved or some transaction or event in which he may have figured. The recent tribunal decision in Harkup and the Information Commissioner and Yorkshire Forward, dated the 5th of February, follows this narrow definition of personal data espoused in Durant. The tribunal ruled that Yorkshire Forward was not entitled under Section 40 to withhold the names of the individuals that had attended events organised by it as these did not constitute personal data. The tribunal rejected the Commissioner's argument that because the information identifies where the data subject was at a particular time, it is biographical information. It ruled that the information was biographical but not in a significant sense. In deciding on what is the focus of the information, the second limb of the Durant test, the tribunal ruled that consideration must be given to the subject matter of the request rather than looking at the constituent parts of the information sought. The focus of the request here were the events organised by and the corporate hospitality provided by Yorkshire Forward. It had no personal connotations and was not biographically significant. In the light of the above, the tribunal ruled that the requested information wasn't personal data and so the Section 40 exemption wasn't engaged. However, it did say that releasing a person's name together with employer information would be personal data as being biographically significant. Here, though, the information was released in the form of two separate lists which could not be correlated. This is a very useful decision and just proves that the Commissioner's interpretation of personal data is not the final word on the matter. It'll be interesting to see whether the Commissioner revises his technical guidance note on determining what is personal data, which was only just published in August 2007. More legal cases are on their way, which will test the Durant definition, including one to the House of Lords. Last year, the Information Commissioner ruled that the total amounts claimed by some MPs under the additional cost allowance should be disclosed. 
This decision has been upheld by the Information Tribunal on the 26th of February in Corporate Office of the House of Commons and the Information Commissioner and Leapman, Brook and Thomas. Under the judgment, MPs will be forced to disclose much more detail about how they spend their £22,000 second home allowance. The Tribunal described Parliament's scrutiny of expenses as deeply unsatisfactory. Two recent decisions maintain the Information Commissioner's new corporate line that precise salaries do not have to be disclosed, even of the most senior public sector staff. The more interesting of the two decisions involves the Information Commissioner himself and was dated the 8th of January. The complainant requested the job titles and wages of the five most senior staff members at the Information Commissioner's office. The Commissioner disclosed the job titles and salary bans to the complainant, but refused to disclose the exact salary details as personal data exempt under Section 40, which was unfair to disclose. What's more interesting about this decision is that it shows that once again the Commissioner himself can get it wrong. He issued a refusal notice outside the 20 working day time limit, and perhaps more seriously, he failed to issue an adequate refusal notice under Section 17. The notice did not state any exemption being claimed, nor clarify what information was being withheld. This is surprising since there's a detailed refusal notice guidance note on the Commissioner's own website. In episode 5 of this podcast, we discuss the Information Commissioner's decision involving the London Borough of Camden, dated 13th of February 2007. The complainant asked Camden Council to provide him with the identities of all residents who had been made the subject of antisocial behaviour orders. The Council provided the complainant with an edited version of its ASBO database. The Commissioner decided that the Council was wrong to rely on Section 40 to redact the names of all the individual recipients of ASBOs, but that redaction could be justified in some cases. This decision has now been overturned by the Tribunal in London Borough of Camden and the Information Commissioner, dated the 19th of December 2007. With me to discuss it is Tim Turner, who is a Data Protection Officer at Wigan Council. Can you remind us about the salient facts of this decision involving Camden Council? Camden received a request for a list of all the ASBOs that that had been issued, current and expired. Because it's gone to the tribunal, we now know that the applicant was David Lee, uh, the Guardian journalist, who was doing research into how the recipients of ASBOs move around. Uh, Camden refused to provide the names of the, the recipients, although they did provide a lot of other information, and they cited the exemptions in Section 31, which were the prejudice to their ability to enforce the law, and Section 40, the, the data about the, the ASBO recipients was personal data. Um, and when this got to the, the Information Commissioner, the Commissioner disagreed and said that um, with Section 40 you need to have a condition to prove that the uh, principles haven't been breached. And he said that that, that condition was there, that um, Schedule 2 uh, of the Data Protection Act, Condition 6, says that if you're using information for a legitimate purpose uh, in your interest or the interest of another, another and it doesn't cause unwarranted harm, then the information can be disclosed. And I think one of the important things for the Commissioner was that um, the recipient of an ASBO is often publicised. It can be put in the press. Uh, leaflets are sometimes handed out, and there is Home Office guidance. So they took what, what probably appeared to be a common-sense decision that disclosing the names of the recipients of ASBOs, which had been in the public domain already, um, could be done again in, the, in this way. He had a few caveats. It should only be the current ASBOs. It should only be where the recipient of the ASBO is not a vulnerable person and the names of victims and witnesses should be removed from any information that was disclosed. 
but Camden were obviously very unhappy about this and decided to go to the tribunal. So why did the tribunal overturn the Information Commissioner's decision? Well, the tribunal took a very detailed view, uh, a very detailed look at all of the issues, and, and rather than simply being persuaded by the fact that the, the, the recipient of an ASBO being known um, and being put into the public domain. They didn't simply accept that and move on. They looked at precisely what Schedule 2 says, and it, interestingly, they focused particularly on what David Lee wanted to do with the information. Uh, they said that although the, the, the use of the information might be legitimate, it wasn't necessary, and that's what Condition 2 says, that the, the, the use of the personal data must be necessary in the legitimate interests of someone else. And they also looked at the issue of the, the harm to the, the recipient of the ASBO, whose personal data this is definitely is. And what they said was that the whole point of an ASBO is that it isn't um, a final court punishment. David Lee quoted that was quoted at one point as saying that this was people who had faced open justice in public court. And that's not entirely the situation. The tribunal said that um, the publicity um, does does become necessary to ensure that people know why the ASBO has been issued and to know who it is in case there are conditions about where they can go and where they can't go or what they can do. But that's at a specific point and for a specific purpose. 18 months later, or however long it might be, um, the recipient of an ASBO may have um, you know, rehabilitated themselves. The whole point of the process is to stop them going to court and being sent to, uh, you know, punished in, 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 a, in a formal way. So the publication of the of the the details of the ASBO would not be in the reasonable expectations of the recipient, might undermine the process of the ASBO. And uh, as, a, as an ASBO is not full justice, it's an attempt effectively to avoid it. It's, it doesn't meet the requirements of what uh, Schedule 2, Condition 6 says. It's, it's required a very specific focus, which perhaps the Commissioner didn't give it. Okay, um, so the outcome is that Camden don't have to disclose the names of any of the recipients of ASBOs. That's right. Will this decision be welcomed by local authorities? It depends. Um, from a, purely from a freedom of information perspective, it might be nice to get information like this into the public domain to show people what we've been doing. And it's clearly an, an issue that people, the public, are interested in, you know, who's had an ASBO and when. But... I think a lot of people who work in community safety uh, and, and similar um, areas where ASBOs are actually implemented, there wasn't a rush to publish this stuff um, following the Commissioner's decision. And I think the point made about undermining the ASBO and undermining the purpose for which it's, it's put into place, I think many people who work in community safety teams will probably be quite happy that they've got the freedom to publicise an ASBO according to the guidelines issued by the Home Office at the time that it's made but that they don't have to start publishing all of it and possibly undermining the process. Tim Turner, thank you very much for your time. The Section 42 exemption is often relied upon by public authorities when refusing to disclose legal advice. It's a qualified exemption and has been the subject of many decisions by the Information Commissioner. On the 15th of February 2008, the Tribunal ruled for the first time that legal advice should be disclosed on public interest grounds. In Mersey Tunnel Users Association and the Information Commissioner and Mersey Travel, the request concerned the legal advice received by the public authority about the way it made repayments of a loan to various local authorities in respect of the Mersey Tunnel. The complainant had been objecting to the way surplus money had been used to pay off loans rather than decreasing tolls for the benefit of the users of the Mersey Tunnel. 
In deciding to order disclosure on public interest grounds, the tribunal gave weight to the age of the legal advice. It found counsel's opinion was still live and relied upon, but wasn't recent. It stated that had the advice been recent, there would be less likelihood of ordering disclosure as there would be tactical questions involved, and the prospect of challenge is more real when action is first taken than when it has been continuing for a number of years. The context of the legal advice is also an important factor in determining where the public interest lies. The tribunal said that it is permissible to differentiate between the weight given to privilege in different contexts. A question of pure public administration, such as the one in this case, where no significant personal interests are involved, is at the opposite end of the spectrum of importance to, for example, legal advice in a criminal or a childcare case. The tribunal also said that thought should be given as to whom the legal advice protects, individuals or corporations. If the issues addressed in the advice do not affect individuals significantly, there is less inbuilt weight attaching to the exemption. This is a significant decision for public authorities and their legal advisers. It shows that no longer can they hide behind the blanket of privilege when considering disclosure of information under FOI. Each case will have to be judged on its merits. In a landmark ruling in the local authority context, the Information Commissioner has ordered 32 councils to disclose the amount of money paid to brokers by investment managers on behalf of employees' pension funds. One case dated 4th of February 2008 involved Tameside Metropolitan Borough Council. The council refused to disclose the information citing confidentiality agreements and commercial sensitivity. The Information Commissioner decided that the public interest in disclosing the information overrides the public interest in maintaining the exemptions. The main public interest argument for disclosure centred on the need for transparency among public bodies in their decisions when investing public money. However, the Commissioner ruled that the names of the brokers concerned and the market areas named in some of the documents was exempt information because their release could prejudice commercial interests. Finally, for those still struggling with the English and Scottish Information Commissioner's different approaches to the Enterprise Act, there is a helpful decision of the Scottish Court of Session which has backed Dumfries and Galloway Council. The Council refused to comply with a Freedom of Information request for the number of complaints to trading standards about a particular company over a period of 10 years. The Council said that the Enterprise Act prohibited disclosure under the Section 35 exemption under the Freedom of Information Scotland Act 2002. This section is similar to Section 44 under the Freedom of Information Act 2000. The Scottish Commissioner has always said that the Enterprise Act is not a bar to disclosure, whereas Richard Thomas and the Information Tribunal has said that it is. It seems now that the Court of Session agrees with them. Please see episode 6 of this podcast where I discuss the decisions of the Commissioner and the Tribunal on this issue. That concludes this month's podcast. All these decisions will be discussed in my forthcoming Freedom of Information Update Workshop. The next one's in Manchester on the 1st of April. More details at www.actnow.org.uk This podcast was brought to you by me, Ibrahim Hassan. I specialise in all aspects of information rights law, particularly freedom of information, data protection and surveillance law. My clients include local authorities, the NHS and government agencies. If you'd like specific advice or training on any of your information law issues, please don't hesitate to contact me. 
Remember, the scripts for all previous podcasts are available on my website, www.informationlaw.org.uk. Until the next time, goodbye.